0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth Well-Played Podcast, a podcast all about playful learning. We are exploring together some games, game mechanics, and the power of learning through play. With me, I have Quinn Rollins, one of the most playful adults around. Hello, gentlemen, Rollins, author of Play Like a Pirate. It's always great to chat with you, Quinn. Uh, Thanks for uh, having me. I'm excited to, uh, to be here to talk to you about this. This is, uh, this is, like I said, the author of Play Like a Pirate. Uh, it's, we're, we have two pirates on the show here. <laughs> uh, so hopefully this will be, uh, we're not going to be too rough on the seas here. You, you can collect them all. <laughs> you can have all of them. We need, yeah. act, we need action figures, Quinn. We need action figures. I, I can get on that. <laughs> uh, well, today, uh, Quinn and I are going to be talking about pre-K playful activities in the post-K class. So, um, I mean, I know, Quinn's your book is filled with these kind, of, these kind of concepts. I know that wasn't necessarily the exact aim, but really, you, you show us how we can use a lot of those things.
1: Yeah. So, I, I think with a lot of these ideas, what it comes down to is, do the kids like doing what you're doing? And for uh, <laughs> that's, I, I mean, well summed you know, up. Are 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 you punishing them with what you're doing to them, or is it something that they actually enjoy doing? And and sometimes people, you know, they're if you're a high school teacher, you're like, well, my my kids don't really like to have fun. They they want to sit and listen to my PowerPoint, and your PowerPoint <laughs> might be really really good, but they also like to have fun sometimes.
0: So yeah. Yeah, I would uh agree, I mean with what I've done with gamification and game-based learning. I just I, I've seen it at all age levels helping, you know, through professional development, different districts, different age levels, different courses from AP classes to IB classes down to the kindergarten class. I mean, I think it's natural. It's natural to be playful, and I think we kid ourselves that no, no, no the Powerpoints, the PowerPoints tons of fun i put I put some transitions in or or sometimes <laughs> it sparkled as it changed. yeah
1: I uh, no I, I think that sometimes we uh, we think because my topic is so engaging and interesting to me the kids will automatically be as interested in it as I am, you know. And part of that, I think, is we as teachers, we see the end from the beginning. You know, we know what that final assessment is going to be. We know where we're going. And so it's all exciting to us. It's like we know what those building blocks are. And the kids don't. And some of them don't care. And they will never care about the Great Depression. And that, that makes me sad but i can also make it more fun by singing hobo songs or whatever it is we're going to be doing with it
0: sure well, that wasn't like a that wasn't trying to be some sort of pun using the great depression as your your storyline for whether your class is depressing
1: or not uh th- there are more depressing parts of history than the great depression which is sort of ironic but <laughs> it's true and you can make the great depression crazy fun and sexy and exciting but you're not going to do it with a powerpoint
0: yeah well i mean what are some ways that you know you have i have like let's maybe maybe a better way to go about this instead of asking that question is like what are some pre-k pre-kindergarten activities that you did as a kid that i did as a kid and then from there maybe we could talk about ways those could end up in a classroom
1: so, the first thing that came to mind um, was, like, Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs. Like, I, I didn't have Lego when I was a kid because Lego wasn't a big thing in the early 70s. And I'm pretty freaking old. But we had uh, Tinker Toys and we had Lincoln Logs. And I still remember what that wood um, and varnish tastes like. Oh, and, yeah. uh it's, uh, it's pretty good and kind of splintery when it comes down to it. But, uh, that's when, you know, it's time for some new toys. So tinker toys, um, like traditional wooden blocks, you know, I, have always been a fan of building with whatever's around, um, play doh to an extent, uh, did a lot with that sometimes homemade salt clay instead of play doh Cause it was cheaper,
0: um, I remember in and my that- kindergarten, we had these, like, I don't know, they looked like brick blocks, but they were just these cardboard boxes that just had that yeah. like, printing on it. But they had a bunch of them. And I remember us boys always, like, fighting over, like, getting as much as we could <laughs> of them to build, like, a fort, you know. But this brings up that, you know, like, there's this natural, like, inclination to, to build, to design
1: well, yeah, and, and things, yeah, things like that that are kind of kid-sized, so you can build something that's like a big enough fort or a house for you. The same kind of thing with like blanket forts, you know. It's like I, I was always doing that when I was a kid, and it's just making a space big enough for me to to crawl into, but you had that ownership of something that you had built. And I uh, I think there are pieces of that we could carry on into our uh, classroom. Yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, you also brought up Lincoln Logs. I definitely remember those. And I have to admit, I never really, even as a kid, even when I was playing them, even when I was the, like, kindergarten kid, I never really understood how these could be, like, a coast-to-coast toy. Like, because <laughs> there, there aren't a whole lot of design possibilities when you just have that notch <laughs> and, like, the log. like Well... It's like as as I built a lot of log cabins, Quinn, a lot of <laughs> log cabins.
1: So, as someone who lives in the West, there are a lot of possibilities for those logs, Michael. Um, no, really, there aren't. You're right. The uh, so something I always did with Lincoln logs is uh, I would build something that was the right scale and size for like my little Fisher Price people, those like little peg people, you know. Sure. So I would. Uh, I'd build something to their scale and sometimes it was a houseboat which kind of opened up that log cabin a little bit but I'd always leave one notch open at the base so you could like put another log under there and put a fulcrum in there and you could like slam down on that log and (laughs) blow the heck out of whatever you had built and the people would fly everywhere. It was really graphic when I think about it but uh you could build catapults out of it.
0: I, I was just about to say. So besides catapults and trebuchets, like,
1: yeah, I mean, you, you have to you have to think about the ideas that aren't pictured on the box.
0: You know. Oh, okay. It's like so. This is like, the the underground of Lincoln Logs. Yeah. Like the the uh, the Lincoln Log rave that you would go to. Uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We. uh we would do that there'd be like edm music and uh glow sticks yeah way too much
0: way too much kool-aid for like the kindergartner that you were
1: oh man that sugar high (laughs) i still feel it
0: all right so we have lincoln logs tinker toys um and tinker toys right if i'm remembering that one that's the like little like tan wheel with the tons of different like holes in it and you just Shove the colorful sticks into the wheels, and you can kind of yeah,
1: yeah. They have kind of sticks that are like
0: pencil sized and different yep. colors,
1: and like each color was a different length. Now
0: those and, could be uh, like you could really like build sort of complex balancing structures. I always did.
1: Yeah, and, and they they were always you know that's kind of the other end of the spectrum where Lincoln Logs are you're locked into this into this size and uh, and pattern you know, everything's 90 degree angles. And with Tinker Toys, I was always frustrated because it's like things didn't quite line up right. Um, And then I'd blow them up too. So
0: (laughs) it all kind of comes down to explosions. Yep. Um, And I definitely pre-kindergarten played with Legos. Legos was a big, big toy for me. I played with those for quite some time. I, I don't
1: think I discovered those until, like, third grade. And then once I did, there was no going back. But... Yeah. Yeah. It well, was I, a little bit later
0: for me. I was the youngest of four. So, mm. like, maybe I would have been on the same path as you, but there was already Legos in the house. Nice. There, There's nothing wrong with that.
1: And and, and it's where a lot of our students are today. So, I you remember, were before your time.
0: Now, this was this was way past pre-K, but... I remember, maybe this already shows my roots into like game-based learning and game design, but I remember being in high school and the bucket of Legos was there and my friend and I wanted to like, we still wanted to play Legos, but it was, we were (laughs) like, we were like torn. We're like, ah, we're in high school. I don't know if I should be doing this and we took out the game Monopoly. We took the board of Monopoly, Mm -hmm. we laid it out and then we took all the like chance cards, all the other like stuff and we pretty much tossed them to the side and we wrote on all the chance cards on the back side, the blank side and we made our own game and instead of building like houses and hotels, we used Legos and designed little cities that would fit on the squares. Nice. And and then we like made up all these complicated rules that made absolutely no sense. Like there's no way you can make a game out of it but like in our little like... (laughs) 11th grade minds or whatever it was, yeah, it worked like it was, it, worked. it was awesome, but it was kind of cool to see these, these Legos put on to another board, another space. Uh, and I think that that really speaks to, again, this level of creativity that our high schoolers have today, right? we going back to that PowerPoint. I mean, here we designed this whole thing and then we designed our, these little micro cities on each of our spots. And and a complex layer of rules over that.
1: I I think uh, in a lot of ways, as teachers, we either underestimate what our students can do or we or we underestimate what we can do. And and we say, "Eh, you know, this might be more fun for them, but it's too much work for me. Um, I I can I could do this if I only had 10 kids in my class. I can't do this with 30 kids. I can't do with my whole grade. And so we think of we think of all the excuses instead of thinking of the possibilities. And I think with, with either um, game-based learning or using toys, using these other strategies, I think uh, we're kind of doing them a disservice by underestimating what we can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, to, I, I think that that's just really good for us all to remember, you know, take a chance. Uh, yeah. Most of the time in life, you end up liking that when you take a chance on a vacation or take a chance on really anything, it more often than not it, it works out. The world's a pretty good place.
1: And if you totally, totally screw it up and like things catch on fire in your classroom and like kids are looting and running away and like <laughs> screaming, like it's a great story. <laughs> so
0: so either way you win, really. Yeah, Either way you win. Now Another pre K activity you mentioned, which I I literally like can't wait to think of how you and I can come up with ways to build this into our class. Yep. You you mentioned forts, and that's so true. Like mm-hmm. this this like actual building a space, like a cordoned off area and designing something that you would go in and be in. Uh what are what are some ways that we can actually layer uh, an immersive experience to that level where like kids are actually building a space they're going to use. So I, I like the idea. I
1: mean, one of my first thoughts was uh, when I was in elementary school, we would have um, like reading thons or like silent reading time where we would, you know, sometimes we'd be reading for, for a few hours of sort of like a competition thing Um, but a lot of teachers they have like silent reading on Fridays where they're, you know, it's it's a reading in English class and they have a set of time where they that's that's what the kids do. And I I like the idea of the kids like for me, basically you could go anywhere in the room. You were encouraged to bring like a blanket, a pillow, a whatever made you feel comfortable, a beanbag chair. And you sort of carved out that little corner of the classroom, and that became your space. And I, I think that there are times when, when our kids are doing um, – you know, they might be doing independent research on a project. They don't need to just stay in their desks. They can move things into other configurations. They can team up with other people. And making that space more for them instead of for me is uh, – I think is, is a good idea. Yeah. I, I think a lot of classrooms aren't set up to make that easy, so you'd have to find other ways to to do it.
0: But yeah, so for me, the I guess the closest I can say to building forts in my classroom, I think, are two activities I do. One uh, is I do this simulation where they're they're on these Greek triremes and mm-hmm. they're they're rowing their trireme. And I used to just do this like rowing piece and blah, blah, blah. We don't want to go all into it. But uh, then one year I I showed this activity to somebody else and they did it in their English class. They were reading mm-hmm. some book that that fit. And he, uh, his name's Brian Durst, added this yeah, layer. Him, right? of, yeah, he added this yeah. layer of why don't we actually have them build a boat? So he had them like flip over the tables and then they like put the chairs, you know, in the table. Yeah. And then they were like encouraged to, you know, build a sail and bring in a bed sheet and all this other stuff. And, you know, he told them this was going to happen the next day, you know, bring in all the materials. I'm going to give you like 10 minutes flat to like design the best boat. Um, nice. And I did that the next year and it I mean, it works out fantastic, you know, and it, yeah. it just add, it just adds that extra layer of fun. It's 10 minutes out of my 70 minute lesson. but. To just see them bring that stuff in, care about what was happening in class. See, and I I, uh, I, I live in Utah. We do a lot of things with westward
1: expansion and the Oregon Trail and Mormon Trail and stuff. And I was just thinking, you know, we, we talk about, you know, packing covered wagons and what would you bring and what would you not bring. And having them, you know, use tables or use the desk and say, hey, this is your covered wagon. You have 10 minutes to pack the essentials. Yeah. What would you what would you do? What would you bring? And, and if you represented that with like empty copy paper boxes or, or whatever, whatever you chose to use, I think, uh, yeah, it's more, more hands-on, more fun. It doesn't have to disrupt your whole class. Yeah. I think that, that, that's another thing with some of these strategies is, is teachers feel like I have 70 minutes. I can't give 70 minutes to a, a goofy, playful kind of thing. And it doesn't need to be the whole seventy minutes; it can punctuate what you're doing,
0: yeah, I know I agree that a lot of things can be done a lot quicker than we think they can, but yeah. i but actually, I do wanna go back i want I wanna shoot for the moon here, I wanna encourage some teachers though you should take the 70 minutes sometimes. I don't think what Quinn and I are saying is make every day like this, but absolutely, you know, like having a 70 minute class period that is centered around this and the centerpiece is something playful and different. Even just the difference is going to make a challenge for their, their minds. Like it is going to be a helpful activity. So
1: one of the things when you said, uh, using pre-K activities for, uh, for other grades, I was walking out of a school uh, last fall and walked right into the middle of a sidewalk chalk anatomy lesson. Which now that I say it out loud sounds like it could be a junior high prank <laughs> kind of thing, but it was uh, it was like these pre nursing students, like healthcare professionals, and normally they would just sort of you know color in the the different organs and everything on a piece of paper. But they took it outside and did it as sidewalk chalk. And after seeing that, I'm like, you know, I have all these different map lessons and map activities where, where kids are coloring a map or they're drawing in features on a map. And you could just go huge scale with that. Sidewalk chalk is cheap. It's yep. that change of setting even is something that those kids would remember a lot more than just
0: drawing something on a paper. That's so I, I, I liked that idea. That was a good one. I saw one today that I thought was genius. Uh I forget who I saw it on. It was on Twitter, but uh the idea was uh all these kids, especially pre-K kids, making these Easter eggs, you know, hard-boiled mm-hmm. and painting them. And the idea was to make mini vignettes and dioramas using hard-boiled eggs to recreate history scenes nice and, and like the pictures that they had were phenomenal um i'll try to make i'll try to put a link into the show notes for this yeah I'm, I'm sure i can dig it up but it, it was just something different again and like they showed how they used it in an english class and as well as a history class um and super easy you know and cheap you know boil up 12 eggs and Kids could like, they put little like yarn on the top for hair and stuff like that. But yeah. then, then they built these scenes. I think it's very similar to the things like you talk about in your book about building some scenes out of Legos. But just yeah, something different and something that they all could kind of relate to going back to the old Easter egg, you know, painting of the egg. Yeah. And and
1: having that connected with the, the time of year. I mean, when I think about all the lessons I have that students won't remember, which which happens there there are there are a lot that they will and it's it's these ones that sort of break you out of the out of the norm, um, and, and sometimes that's that's things like the sidewalk chalk or the tinker toys, but sometimes it's things like singing, which is something that you do in elementary school, and then by the time you're in middle school, it's like if you're a music teacher, you sing, but you know how often do you in English classes or history classes but I think uh, it's a it's a tool that helps kids remember things that
0: we that we don't use. That's a great point, Quinn. About uh, you know these these great activities that things like singing or you know full body movement that they do a lot more in the pre K class, uh, and how that really becomes the the exception as opposed to the rule when they move up. It, you know, post K classes, right? Like it's just the music teacher singing like you talked about. But these are really good strategies that connect like mnemonically for memory as well as they're just a full body experience. So things like getting, you know, kinesthetic learners, getting them activated out of the seats, you know, or tactile learners, building things. Uh, these are all things we need to remember in the post K classrooms.
1: Yeah, and, and I think really anytime – I guess with like Tinker Toys or Lego or even building those forts we were talking about, anytime you're letting them build something, they they create – they have ownership of it. Um, and they, they sort of take possession, they take control of it in a way they don't do with, with a worksheet or, or some other – activities you know even if it's not something they get to keep by the the act of creation they they have taken ownership of it
0: and uh yeah yeah
1: that that, just that engages them
0: i think i mean we're both social studies teachers so i I think also something that's in the pre-k class that doesn't happen really post-k is is play itself and i think that in our classes that's seen as um, like a simulation, and we see the power of that simulation. When, mm-hmm. we, when we pretend for a minute that you are on the Oregon Trail and you're and you are packing those covered wagons, it does transform the experience, and and it transforms the kids' learning, uh, and it just it changes everything. But how many classes outside the social studies class do simulation based learning? You know, uh, right? When when really, I, I
1: mean, I've seen some great activities, uh, you know they uh they sort of do a, a kinesthetic model with the kids of cell division. You know, so so these kids are, are all together and they're used like a stage or the gym or someplace and everybody has a different color dot representing a different part of the cell and they and they, they divide. But every one of those kids knows exactly what part they play. And and I think that has some that brings some ownership with it too. I I think English classes, there are a lot of opportunities with literature to do simulations or to, um, have those kids gain some empathy for characters by taking a role. Um, aside from being a kid reading
0: the book in the class. Yeah. I work with an extraordinary sixth grade team and on it is one Brad Dunning. Uh, and he, for the English, he's an English teacher and he did a, simulation on sharecropping and it worked so well for their book that they were reading but as you talked about like the empathy they then had for those characters because they kind of understood that like the owner just made bank to their very little you know but that that came to light and it was a it was a visceral experience i mean like they will not forget that and it really illuminated the rest of the reading and he he talks about that often that that you know that two-day activity which he still was reading he was still doing all the other things that were still annotating so it wasn't like a two-day timeout it was just this simulation that kind of ran parallel to the book
1: well and, and and even if it did take the whole time you know, I, I think with what you said earlier, sometimes it's okay to give the whole class period to give extra time to these activities because it it stimulates a depth of knowledge, a depth of learning that they're not going to get in my other seventy minutes of boringness, <laughs> which happens sometimes because my powerpoints are amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if if you have had an opportunity to see. Quinn speak. He is an excellent entertainer of sorts. I am. I'm kind of ridiculous,
1: but (laughs) but it works for me, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, on my daughter. I mean, on the point of pre-K playful activities. My daughter is in kindergarten right now, Mm -hmm. and you know, I was just thinking about things they do, and you know, that's what made me think about simulations because she always comes home and says, you know, we were playing this we were playing that but all of the their play is this simulated play like it's like it's like my daughter just wants to be an adult you know we were playing restaurant and I was the waitress we were playing grocery store and I was the cashier
1: yeah and that's that's so much of how they learn but it's so much of how we learn too it's like did would I learn how to change the oil in my car or change a tire by watching somebody else do it you know, you learn as you are the one actually doing it. Yeah, I don't know how to change the oil in my car. I, I go
0: to a place and they do it. But I do know how to change a tire. <laughs> but I mean, you make a good point that like we learn when I mean it's that necessity, right? When you need to learn it. So if yeah. you chose to learn how to change the oil, that would be a necessity in that moment. And then at that moment, watching the YouTube or reading the manual. Mm-hmm. Would make sense because you're also in front of the car and you are holding right. the tools that need to be, you know, used. Uh are there and, are there tools? I'll be honest, I also go to a place.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just stick to my games and uh I, I can fix
0: my I can change my Lego oil. There you go. There you go. Just fine. Yeah. I can change my board game oil. See? It's it all works. Yeah. It all works, but I mean, so that that's a playful piece. The other thing I was thinking too is um, my daughter absolutely loves the sandbox. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think in some non-messy way, although maybe that's already thinking about it in the wrong way. Maybe we should get a little messy. Um, uh how, yeah. How, how to use a sandbox? I think every school playground has one. So kind of like you were saying with sidewalk chalk, it made me think. You know, should I take the kids out and do something in the sandbox?
1: Yeah. I, uh, no, I love the idea of that. So you figure it out and you tell me. <laughs> um, no, there are so many, like a lot of children's museums, a lot of natural history museums even now, they have, they have basically giant sandboxes that are up on tables. Um, they have like water running through them. And it's just, kids can sort of simulate making canyons or the erosion um that happens to make canyons uh or sometimes just playing you know sure like i i i like playing in sand and sandboxes myself but i haven't ever thought about it in that context i'm
0: thinking for my social studies class i liked what you just said for a science class that'd be sweet um but for a social studies class, I was thinking kind of going back to your map activity, mm. but but do it with uh, maybe on a tinier scale. Like you know, we're studying Rome right now, and we talk mm-hmm. about like the hills of Rome and the and Capitoline Hill and Palatine Hill. It would be kind of cool to make a cheesy little, you know, model. Give them divide this. This we have a giant sandbox, so divide it up yeah. into four quadrants and say. You know each team has to build a little model of Rome, maybe even bring down some of the Legos so they could build you know the Pantheon in Rome, put it on the mm-hmm. the hill and you know that well could and be and cool. then
1: having them be able to visualize you know why 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 did the hills stand out? Why is that significant? you know, do they have some sort of purpose? yeah, because um, they talk about the seven hills all the time, but unless you've been there and have seen it, it's kind of hard to visualize why that would be significant. Yeah. So yeah, I I love it. I want to
0: see pictures. <laughs> we'll see. I I'm gonna. The big sandbox is technically under the ownership of the kindergarten classroom. So I'd have to. Doesn't sort of, matter. I'd, kick kick I, them out. I'd have to kick negotiate. Them out. They don't. They don't need it. No, those kids. The man. They're. Whew, that's their <laughs> turf, man. That's like it's, that's sharks think, versus the jets right there. <laughs> I think it's probably the teachers you have to worry about, not the kids. Probably right. Probably right. Um, But, I mean, again, I mean, just look at some of these ideas we're mining from that pre-K class that would be kind of a cool and different activity. And, again, even if it doesn't totally work, I think the kids are going to enjoy being outside, being in a different space. And, I mean, they're definitely going to – I think they're going to appreciate that you're trying.
1: Yeah, and and even –
0: even things like when we we uh,
1: we wrote some, when we were studying Native Americans, we tried to write some uh, some poetry, sort of based on some of those ideas. And instead of doing it in our classroom, we went out to the soccer fields to do it, where they could experience the nature, they could see the the landforms around them that that they would have seen three hundred years ago. Um, so so just a change of setting, which is something that. Native. Younger grades do a lot. You see them walking around the school, you see them walking around the
0: grounds. I'm just checking. But, Native Native Americans played soccer?
1: Uh yeah, they did. <laughs> I think they actually played the cross, didn't they? Yeah. No, they didn't play soccer. But <laughs> so they could have.
0: I'm just giving you and a And then time. they'd write
1: poetry about it.
0: <laughs> no, but I hear you. You know, like you like you said, the lower school classes, I think. Way more than middle and upper school classes use the outside. Even if it is just for a nature walk or, you know, inspiration yeah. for, for a writing class. Getting outside, it's important. It is. You know what else is important, Quinn? What's that? Reflection time. Uh-oh, reflection time. I'm, I'm down. You, I mean, you hear the music, I hear the music. It's time. It's beautiful. All right. So today we have a quote by, hmm, how do I even say this name? Not even certain. Probably should have practiced this before this, but Ayad Bedir. Ayah Bedir. There you go. Let's see uh, what we think about this one. She says, "Lego has essentially taken the concrete block, the building block of the world." and made it into the building block of our imaginations. I think I just served you the greatest softball ever.
1: <laughs> oh, It's true, Aya uh, Badir. I, I need to find out who this person is. Um, yeah, so, so I think that when, when I think about the way I grew up, Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys um, wooden blocks. I, I loved those and I built whole cities and I built robots. I did everything I could with them, but I do think that the Lego has taken those and has sort of refined the idea of what, of what a block could be. And with that has come a lot of, a lot of great things. Um, I know a lot of people sort of are, uh, like, well, if Lego was better in my day because we didn't have fancy shapes and colors, we had three colors and we had two shapes of blocks and Lego was the best back then. And I don't know that I agree with that. I think that the, the more colors and the more shapes and the more it reflects the world around a child, the uh, the, the better access they have to it. And uh, I don't it, think there's that's a problem.
0: I think it's funny because when you say that, that storyline about the, People saying lego is better with the three colored blocks i can't help but think like that sounds very communist and these (laughs) and these people are probably not they're probably the opposite very opposite of communist yet in in the lego world they just want the three the three blocks that's that's
1: all they want and uh and i respect their choice but they're totally wrong. So <laughs> uh
0: Lego definitely has had an explosion of, you know, wildly different shaped blocks and they they definitely don't shy away from designing a new block for a new set. I think when i was a kid going to your point, they didn't really make too many custom blocks. Um but uh i I don't see that as a bad thing. My reflection over the quote is I'm just gonna zoom out a little bit and just sort of say again, mm-hmm. this this power of construction. I mean, I think we need to to allow a lot more hands on building in our classrooms, whether it's whether it's Lego or not, uh just just sort of the idea of Lego and letting kids have that tactile and pride point of what they build. And Lego's is a great way to do it. Yeah, and, and whatever whatever it is that
1: they're that they're using to build, you know, have them share that share that pride, share that ownership, display what they do. Um, you know, have, have other classes come in and see what they've done. Don't uh, you know, don't don't hide these amazing things they're doing. That's one of the reasons I love Twitter is is this little insight you have into classrooms across the country and around the world because there are great ideas all over the place and as teachers we should be taking the best of that and bringing it to our kids and and part of that is that using your imagination using those building blocks whatever form they're in to uh, let your kids express themselves
0: well said Uh, well Quinn I gotta say we gotta wrap this up so that uh, people can get back to work because they're gonna be so riveted that you know they're gonna forget to pick up the kids from the gym you know, we <laughs> got we, we to make sure they, they still, you know, round up the herd. So That's right.
1: I uh, have kids here myself somewhere. I don't know where they are, so I should probably do the same.
0: All right. So thanks for joining us today, Quinn, on Well Played. It's truly a pleasure to have you, and I hope that uh, Well Played will be a regular port of call for you. Uh, and for the rest of you, thanks for listening. It's an honor having you uh, listen, learn, and play with us today. Quinn, again, thank you. Thank you, Michael. I loved it. And uh, as always, connect and share your ideas with us at explorelikeapirate.com or the hashtag, the new hashtag, well Played You, or check out the new website. Well, we actually have a website for wellplayed now. It's wellplayedyou.com. We're hoping you have a good day and enjoy the week and play on.